The doc is in, and there's no need to stay in the waiting room for this episode of Health 411. Join Dr. Jonathan Karp as we discuss topics from health insurance to personal diet and exercise to up-to-date conversations in the healthcare industry and more. The Rider University Health Studies Institute presents Health 411, underwritten in part by the Ripovich Institute for New Jersey Politics and Rider University. Rider offers continuing studies programs for adults who need flexibility. Once to add new skills to your resume, take a continuing studies course at Rider University. Now, let's see what the diagnosis is for this week's episode of Health 411. 107.7 The Bronx, 1077thebronc.com, proudly nominated for National Association of Broadcasters 2019 Marconi Award for Best College Radio Station. We're recording today from the remote Bronx studios at Ryder University, and I'm Professor Jonathan Cart. This is the Health 411 program. This program is presented by the Rebovich Institute for New Jersey Politics and the Ryder University Health Studies Institute. In Health 411, we discuss a variety of issues affecting health and wellness, public health, healthcare policy, and the politics of health and healthcare. Our goal is to expand knowledge and perspective. Today, Isaac Harris and I are going to have a conversation about what's been in the news lately and about a field called brain training. And we welcome you to listen in on our conversation. Welcome, Isaac. Uh, hi, Dr. Carp. Good to see you. Always, see always you. a pleasure. Even though it is remote via Zoom, we're, we're, still, we're still in that vein a little bit. But today we are going to have a conversation. And um, I just want to, for anybody who's listening, I just want to have this as an idea that uh, sparked your interest and in something that you wanted to talk about. And it was the idea of brain training. And we were all aware of things that we've seen, either... Um, advertisements on TV, we've seen apps on our cell phones, we've seen websites on our computers, there's actually a host of uh, virtual reality kinds of programs, and there's a lot of things out there that use different words to sort of say collectively of what we're going to call as brain training. And the idea is that if you use these programs, these apps, if you subscribe or you do um, these sort of things in the old days, it would have been a, a crossword puzzle or a Sudoku puzzle. If you do these things, does it improve your brain? Does it keep your brain sharp? sharp? Does it retard um, age-related declines? Does it improve things that your brain does? And that's what we're going to talk about today. Did I capture just sort of in a general way. Oh yeah, yeah, you did, you did, and and that leads me to a question I have to ask you. Okay. Uh, real quick, have you done any brain training games for yourself, or do you like? Have you done that personally? Because I know I have, but it's been oh, um, interesting. Okay, so that's one of the things that that's one of the punchlines um, that I, I think we're going to uh, talk about today because the radio program is going to have a beginning, a middle and an end, but you're sort of asking the conclusion. It's like, you've done any of these things. And I mean, you ask, so I will tell you instead of keeping you hanging is that, yes, I've tried those sort of things, but I do those sort of things, um, based on my understanding of the literature that's out there. And I do them, um, for fun. 
right. you know, for entertainment kind of purposes. And that's sort of embedded in some of the things that we're going to see as we talk about some of the realities and the myths of what brain training is, what it isn't, um, that that is, is sort of out there. But do you regularly engage in some of these brain training websites, uh, apps, anything like that? Not as much as I used to. Um, I, I should do it more. I mean, I try to just to try to keep my mind but fresh. Do you subscribe but, yeah. to any of the, the brain training um, companies? No, not to any of the big ones. I try to just do basic games like maybe like Sudoku and Words with Friends. Uh, <laughs> I don't know what that one is, but I, I'll, I'll, <laughs> it's like Scrabble, but like a digital version of Scrabble. Oh, okay, okay, very, very good. And a lot of these things that we've that that you know more about that that we've all us collective have seen out there do things like. Um, compare the human brain um, to like a muscle. And we know that if you don't use any muscle you have, muscles can atrophy, muscles get weaker, uh, the twitch strength and the twitch, inner, inner twitch interval get, becomes less. So it sort of has this use it or lose it sort of idea with muscles. Um, and that's sort of an analogy that, that, that people use when they say, if muscles can be trained, uh, why can't I, and, and muscles can get stronger, bigger, faster, and more able to achieve a task. Why can't I also train my brain to do this, this the same sort of idea, sort of the use it or lose it idea. Um, but I wanna be very, very clear that your brain is not a muscle. Mm -hmm. um, it's it's a very it's a different it's 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 cellular molecular composition is very very different than muscle tissue. In fact, when people teach um, about muscle physiology, the control of muscle physiology, one of the things that people talk about is that your muscles are really the slaves of your nervous system. They're just acting out what your nervous system is sort of telling it telling your muscle what to do to contract, to have some so isomeric contract, contraction or whatever's going to happen. Um, your muscles are getting it signal, getting the signals to do what they're gonna do primarily from other places. Those other places are indeed the nervous system. Um, we're gonna focus primarily on the brain, but for people listening, we have to be very, very aware, but the, the nervous system is composed of more than your brain. It's your brain, your spinal cord, your peripheral nerves, your autonomic nervous system. There's all this other stuff that's also going on. Um, yet yeah, the, the field is basically the, the field of brain training. There are a variety of commercial companies out there. There are a lot of academic centers now. One of the, 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 the one that's been in the news a lot recently, there's an academic center at, at UCLA about brain games. There's, um, there's at least one in Canada and well at the University of Western Ontario. So these things are popping up where people are studying this idea of can you train the brain to do things um, such that when you leave the tap, leave whatever you're doing, you have these long lasting long-term effects that can improve your ability to remember, improve your ability to learn, um, improve some sort of uh, uh, what's sometimes called fluid intelligence. These, these are the kinds of things that, that people look at. It's as if, if I engage 
with the technology that allows me to do things online or on an app or on a computer um, or in a virtual reality setting, am I creating a sense, a stronger brain? Whereas if I worked out a muscle, I would create a, 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 a stronger muscle. Mm -hmm. that, yeah. That's sort of where we're going. Um, you know, I'll start off and say too, is that there, it, it's what we're going to talk about today, and we're going to talk about a paper that spurred your interest. Um, we'll talk about some of the background stuff that I that, that, that I did in preparation for talking today. And for anybody who's listening, and, and for you, Isaac, is that the idea that your brain can be trained, there's not going to be a simple answer. Um, mm -hmm. Because of uh, sort of the, the, the non-homogeneity, the heterogeneity of the kind of research that's being done. And that's one of the things that we try to encourage the people listening to this program and college students who are certainly in my classes is try to make evidence-based decisions about what they're going to do. Um, is that we're gonna ask the question, what does the research literature, what do these academic and commercial, what's sort of known about works and what doesn't work um, in terms of brain training. And, um, and the, the idea that you can use technology to influence what the brain is doing is not a, a, a brand new field. This kind of stuff has been going on for at least a couple of decades. My first introduction to the idea of brain training occurs from looking at the literature of, I wanna say 15, maybe even 20 years ago, where people were um, we're investigating the possibility that you may be able to enhance recovery after some sort of brain trauma in somebody, like after a stroke or a brain injury, by having them play video games. And the idea is, could you get people, so could you use, you know, computers as a kind of um, therapy? Could you use them in rehabilitation to people who have some sort of brain injury? The field has expanded and the research has expanded in the past 15 or 20 years. And now people are looking at, um, can you use this sort of technology, not only for people who have some sort of brain loss, but can you use it to prevent some of the normal cognitive changes or slow down some of the cognitive changes that occur with aging? Can you use it in athletes to create some sort of competitive advantage where a very, very small competitive advantage, a small change in brain activity might create a, a large competitive advantage on an athletic field or an athletic performance? Um, and, and can you use it in people who have otherwise normal brains to sort of enhance them as sort of a what the joke used to be is sort of like a smart pill or an intelligent, intelligent sort of pill going mm -hmm. on. And when you have sort of an expansion of a technology leading to all those sort of things, we're also going to talk today about some of the, uh, not only some of the research, but some of, and some of the uses, but some of the abuses of that technology, uh, where people have used these sort of ideas that sound really good to separate um, unwilling, uh, un unknowing customers, potential customers from their money to enrich themselves. And we're gonna talk about all those things today, um, but we're going to take a break uh, for some underwriting announcements with Health 411 and we'll be right back. You're listening to 
Health 411 on 107.7 The Bronx and 107.7 TheBronx.com. This is Health 411, truthful health information to expand your knowledge and perspective. The Rider University Health Studies Institute presents Health 411, underwritten in part by the Ripovich Institute for New Jersey Politics and Rider University. Continue your studies with Rider University's online and part-time options at rider.edu slash next step. We're back with Dr. Jonathan Karp, only on 107.7 The Bronx. Welcome back to Health 411 on 107.7 The Bronx and 107.7 The I'm Professor Jonathan Karp. I'm here with Isaac Harris, our producer, and we're having a conversation about the, the idea that people can train their brain through the use of apps, websites, virtual realities, basically tech, advances in technology. Can you train your brain to have some sort of benefit and potential? The field started, like I was mentioning before, many years ago when people started looking at in rehab, uh, where people had brain injuries or strokes or something like that. And these were mostly small studies that showed that if you did some sort of these, you know, interactive programming, you could improve performance or you know, things like that. However, what's happened over the years, there's sort of a crisis in the field, or I don't know a crisis, but let's call, let's call it a controversy in the field. And if you look at the literature and especially review articles that are, are built around this, what you see people, the scientists, the people who are data-driven looking at this is some of them get very, very enthusiastic and they get very, you know, they almost excited, but they get enthused because they see that these interactions, these uh, computer-generated apps and these games and tasks that are designed um, can, you know, can help people. And they, and they tend to be relatively small studies that do this. And they say, oh, this is great. We need to do more research to understand that. But at the same token, other scientists have sometimes seen this kind of research um, and tried to replicate it with the same kinds of studies. Um, and they get, um, you know, use the word frustrated, but they get a little disappointed because they're unable to replicate some of these um, sort of exciting or things that make the news reports that are out in the literature. And what that tells a scientist, and it's actually, if you were into the science, sort of the cognitive neuroscience, the perceptual neuroscience, the building a company on this, what, what that tells somebody is, is that it, it intrigues you and says, sometimes brain training works, sometimes brain training doesn't work. And that's, for, for somebody who's not in science, you get frustrated because you go, oh, I don't know what to believe. But a scientist goes, wow, that's a real opportunity for me to figure out what works and what doesn't work. It's an opportunity for me to figure out what populations of people are you know, the most sensitive to brain training devices? What populations of people are less sensitive to you know, brain training interventions? What age groups would it benefit? What age groups might it damage? And that's something to keep in mind too, because any time something has the potential to do good, and we're, we're trying to use, we're using brain training in a positive way, Isaac, right? We're trying to right. help things. The possibility also exists that this kind of intervention 
can do something bad. And you have to be aware of that. In the pharmaceutical literature or the medicine literature, they call those things side effects, right? right. You, can take a medicine, you can take a medicine that you know, may help you, but you have to weigh that help versus potential side effects that that medicine- Of might course. Create. Absolutely. And yeah. these ideas of brain training have to do the same sort of thing. And because there is sort of this, you know, uh, there isn't a standard way of measuring these things. There aren't standard interventions. You know, different people create different kinds of apps, different kinds of things, advertisements, <laughs> different kinds of stuff. You know, the, the, the science of it is people are trying to figure out, like I said, what works and what doesn't work. And just because you see something on an an advertisement on TV or an advertisement in a magazine or you're on a website and companies make claims about things, it doesn't mean those claims are real, right? And that is something that is, is very, very important. And um, um, I really don't have an agenda of when to say this out, but there was a famous case a few years ago now, it's I guess it's four or five years ago, um, against a company called uh, Lumosity. Have you heard about that company? Yes, I did hear. I do. I remember bits and pieces about that uh, scandal. About yeah, that, what happened? Well, absolutely. For somebody who's not familiar with it, this was a, a national scandal where a company was advertising on TV, radio, internet, and they were basically saying, you know, um, that so this is a company that has a like. A website that you can subscribe to. Um, and the idea was that they were making claims that if, if you, their claims were these games that you played would target certain areas of your brain. And the idea was that if you did these games for, you know, for 10 to 20 minutes, a few times a week, you could achieve your full potential in every aspect of your life. Right. And they were selling subscriptions to this on TV and all this sort of stuff on, on mainstream news outlets. Well, what happened was the Federal Trade Commission, the FTC, our government officially, um, sued them. Right. And, the, and I'll, you know, I'll read from the FTC complaint. The FTC alleges that the defendants claim training with Lumosity would, one, improve performance on everyday tasks and schoolwork at work and athletics, two, delay age-related cognitive decline and protect against mild cognitive impairment, impairment, dementia and Alzheimer's disease, and three, reduce cognitive impairments associated with health conditions, including stroke, traumatic brain injury, PTSD, ADHD, blah, 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 a whole bunch of these things. Right. The complaint also charged that defendants with failing to disclose some consumer testimonials that were featured on their website um, had been solicited through contests that promised prizes, <laughs> um, including trips. Mm -hmm. OK, now what happened was this company was making all these claims in the absence of any data, in, in the absence of any reliable and competent scientific evidence. Um, and they were making claims about benefits in real world performance, age-related decline and other things um, in the absence of any data showing that there was any truth to this. So it sounded really good. Like who doesn't want, I mean, I'm older than you. It's like, 
who doesn't want to prevent age-related cognitive decline? You know, as a middle-aged right. guy, I, you worry about that. You know, yeah. you're, a, you're a 20-something. Wouldn't you love to improve your athletic performance by playing some computer games? Heck yeah. I mean, yeah. I, I would. Yeah, yeah I absolutely. And it, sound, it sounds great, right? But the, the FTC got a judgment against Lumos Labs, who runs Lumosity. It was a $50 million judgment, which was suspended due to the financial condition um, after a $2 million payment of the company. Right. And it also made the company offer refunds and stuff like that. Now, I suspect the company's still around. You don't see those advertisements on mainstream media anymore. And they've had to tone down their promises about what their things can basically do. You know, but people have to do the research. And, and that's a lot about Health 411. If you're going to make decisions about what you're going to do and not do, you should make evidence-based decisions, right? And companies um, are less interested in that. They're more, especially ones that want to do these, make these games, um, they're really interested in subscriptions. They're in business to make money, right? And right. In, in, in a sense, a lot of, you know, not every video game you play um, necessarily is designed to achieve some sort of benefit. Think of all those video games that are out there that have to do with, um, you know, racing cars or shooting aliens or, you know, shooting, you know, people or, or right. all those, you know, you, you, know, you know, you're talking about, right? Exactly. Yeah. You know, um, they're using the same visual, perceptual sound reflexes as the games that are involved that are supposed to be targeting things. And what, ha what the science has to do is to figure out, you know, are there specific learning kinds of tasks? Are there specific things that people can engage in to achieve certain specific um, outcomes, certain specific um, um, you know, whether it's preventing age-related decline or something, there's, it, are there, is there a way to target that? And so this company, Lumosity, was, you know, sued by FTC, settled it so the company could stay in business, and they basically stopped advertising and making these kinds of claims, sort of like a company saying, you know, if you eat this or drink this, you're going to grow wings, you know, that's not good. That, 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 that's, you can't make that kind of claim because it just can't happen. That's sort of observed. Um, um, but did that close down the field? Did that stop the field of, you know, companies selling brain training mechanisms? Um, did it stop the research um, into brain training? And it did not. And this sort of stuff goes on. Um, and we are going to talk about some of these things and we're going to ask questions like, you know, if, even if you play one of these games or in, involved with this training, what's actually happening? How long does what's happening last? Is, the, is what you learn transferable for one thing to another? And we're going to come back and we'll talk about these things on Health 411 after some brief underwriting announcements. You're listening to 1077 The Bronx 
1077thebronc.com. This is Health 411, truthful health information to expand your knowledge and perspective. The Rider University Health Studies Institute presents Health 411, underwritten in part by the Repovich Institute for New Jersey Politics and Rider University. Continue your studies with Rider University's online and part-time options at rider.edu slash next step. We're back with Dr. Jonathan Karp, only on 107.7 The Bronx. One oh seven seven the Bronx one oh seven seven the Bronx.com. Isaac and I are at the remote Bronx studios and we're having a conversation about the reality out there that we all have this access to websites, apps, uh, virtual reality, and companies that are claiming to do things like strengthen our brain, train our brain to do some things. And it sort of comes out of a history that says that, you know, these technologies, uh, computers can sometimes be used to overcome deficits uh, in learning or deficits, uh, brain changes after a stroke or something. And the question is now becoming, can normal people use these things to improve learning, memory, vision, hearing, and, you know, there's research being done on this. And it does, do, is there a consensus of what the best programs are like or what the best things are, are, are out there? Um, that has yet to be determined. That's the kind of thing the scientists are looking at and more research is needed and that answer is sort of unknown. Uh, but we're gonna talk about what is sort of known, but before we jump in some more, Isaac, in the break, you said you had a couple questions you wanted to, to lay on me. Yeah, I did, Dr. Carp. And I think one of the big question is like, cause I used to play a lot of games like this to try to keep my mind going. And I'll be honest, I have ADHD. So a lot of it, is a lot of it to play these games for me brain games for me personally was to stay focused and learn how to like you know stay on task and try to complete a task when i was like a little bit younger like mid middle school you know try to so i'd play tetris uh sudoku and i try like um i'll try like more puzzle games to try to keep my mm -hmm. mind racing and try to slow down and then traditional so i guess the big question is with that i hope the study i i hope i guess um I guess it's like, is it harder to differentiate like which game is actually going to be helpful or hindering to someone's like mind? Is there, is that going to be a hard thing to kind of differentiate when we go into the study? Um, okay. There's a couple things going on here. And, and, and so there's a lot of levels to what you just asked me. Right. Um, one level is the idea of um, can interactions with computers, can computer gaming be fun? And right. the answer is absolutely, it could be fun. Um, and there's nothing wrong with doing that, using it for entertainment purposes. purposes. Can computer gaming be used to um, sort of, I'm gonna sort of be in the vernacular, calm down somebody who's a little hyperactive? You go, right. Abso absolutely, it, it can do that. Um, not just with you, but in children too, because a lot of these games, um, there's a visual component, there's a sound component, there's a muscle component, even if it's just your fingers or, or, or something like that. Um, and there are benefits to that, you know, of, of, of having fun. There are benefits of, you know, getting somebody who can't sit still to focus 
on something. You know, it's, you know, it, 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 you know using a, a television or a computer game as a babysitting um, kind of thing is probably not good. I mean, there are probably consequences to that depending yeah. on the age of the person. But, you know, in moderation, these, these, these things are sort of good. What you talked about, like the word games, the crossword puzzles, um, all those online things, I'm willing to bet that you got better at them as you were doing them. Did, did you notice that? Um, in a couple of, in like Tetris, yes, a little bit. And then like, I kind of moved on from like Tetris to Dugu to like solitaire. And I got really, really good at solitaire. So that was, that was definitely a plus. And I felt more confident, like focusing on tasks that way from like just my experience with solitaire, but yeah. 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 And so, and, and, and I think that's what happens when I teach about, um, you know, learning and memory in, in, in some of my, in my neuro courses, there's a, a, or a couple famous studies, they're a little bit old now, but I think the data is still really good, where they took college students and they brought them into the lab and they had them uh, basically play a game where you had to navigate around a maze through a bunch of different things, like move your little, um, I guess they call them, not, not icons, but move your little avatars around. Um, and, and the students in a couple sessions got better at, at the task, the specific task that they were doing. What was interesting is that they took half the people and they, in the lab, had a normal night's sleep and the other one, they disrupted REM sleep, right? And then they brought them back the next day and they retested them on the games. The games that were played by the, by the, the students, the college students where most of these studies are done, um, had a normal night's sleep, retained their improvements on the next day of mm -hmm. navigating their, their icons avatars through the maze. The students who had had REM sleep disturbances did not consolidate that learning. So they went back to where they were as if they haven't played before. Right. right? So there's a, there's a, so yeah, does your brain respond to you playing these games and doing these things? And you go, absolutely your brain responds. Can you get better at playing these games by doing it over and over again? Absolutely you can get better at these things. And I think the data is pretty, you know, pretty clear is that, you know, on a lot of these things, you can show task specific improvements. Um, it's, it's sort of like the computer game or you have to go through certain levels. And, you know, it might take you, I'm gonna make up a number here, 20 minutes to go from level two to three. But let's say your avatar gets killed and you go back down to level two. Right? It doesn't take you 20 minutes again to figure out how to get to level three because you sort of learned how to do that. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah. a lot of games, you know what I'm talking about? A lot of yes. games are built that sort of way. Yeah. They send you back, you know, they send you back to the beginning, you back to the end of the line, right? Oh yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, and what you're, what you're seeing is you get better with the specific task um, after you've done it a couple times. And that's true whether you're playing word games, crossword puzzles, Sudoku and all that sort of stuff, or in, in your case, Tetris, um, whatever it might be. The, 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 the issue then in terms of brain training is, you know, and this is what's not known is you have these task specific improvements of what you're doing. Do any of those task specific improvements translate into some sort of, um, change or improvement in a different task? Does it translate into an improvement of, of, what, of something you might do when you come off the computer or you get off your cell phone? That's 
what the research really needs to figure out. They, and they also, I think the data show, and we're gonna talk about things related to this, that the best benefits in, the, in terms of learning and getting better, like in those kinds of games, happen in people who were not engaged in those things before. Like if you had never played Sudoku and then you go on one of these games and you learn how to play it, you get better and better at it. The improvement in the brain training works better for those people than if you've been playing it like on your own with a pencil, an old fashioned somebody, remember pencils? Yes. <laughs> pencil. <laughs> yes. And, 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 and those books of these pages and pages of those of the squares, you know, the, the improvement tends to be bet more so in the people who are a little naive going in. And that leads a question. If you're designing, you know, computer apps, computer games, all these sort of things in a, in a brain training sort of idea, one, you know, wants it to be engaging, wants it to be fun. And that's part of where you started. There's a fun component to that. Um, but if it's just fun, if it's just entertaining, if it's just enjoyable or it's distracting in a sense, that kind of game doesn't necessarily have a learning outcome in mind. And that's right. where research really needs to explode because if you're going to do brain training for the things we mentioned about before, about learning, improving memory, um, uh, improving visual or visual acuity or tracking. And there's some, there was some data. There's a, there's a great baseball study from a few years ago about that. Um, the, these programs and these apps should be designed with a learning outcome in mind. And that's mm -hmm. often what's lacking in some of these brain training websites and commercials. Are they entertaining? Are they distracting? Um, absolutely, they can be, and they can be fun, you know? And then you have to wonder, you know, you know, just like we talk about brain training, but a lot of these games, some of the games even my kids play, where you're traveling around this make-believe landscape shooting people, right? Mm -hmm. Or traveling around the city stealing cars, right? right? <laughs> you know, it's like, are you training your brain to make it okay to kill people or bludgeon them to death with sticks? Are you making it okay to steal cars and drive over people on the sidewalk? Are you making it okay to rob a bank? You know, are you training your brain? No, I don't think the makers of those kind of games say that we are, you know, they're doing brain training. They're creating their games for fun purposes, for entertainment purposes. And there's really nothing wrong with that. But if you're going to use these resources with the idea that you're gonna train your brain for something, you would like to think that the people who are doing the programming have some sort of learning outcome in mind. And not only that, in the, uh, having a learning outcome in mind, but they also have an idea of something that I wanna talk about in the next segment, um, about who are the good candidates for reaping the benefits of that kind of learning that they're that, that they have that they're generated, and you would like the decisions that people make to be data-driven decisions. And so we'll come back and we're going to continue that conversation on Health 411 after some brief underwriting announcements. 
You're listening to 1077 The Bronx and 1077thebronc.com. This is Health 411, truthful health information to expand your knowledge and perspective. The Rider University Health Studies Institute presents Health 411, underwritten in part by the Repovich Institute for New Jersey Politics and Rider University. Continue your studies with Rider University's online and part-time options at rider.edu slash next step. We're back with Dr. Jonathan Karp, only on 1077 The Bronx. One zero seven seven the Bronx, one zero seven seven the Bronx.com. We're recording Health Four One One from the remote Bronx studios. Welcome back. I'm Professor Jonathan Carp, and Isaac and I are having a conversation about the world of brain training. All these things that are out there for our consumption, for our entertainment, for in theory things that are going to. Um, help us as people use our brains um, and keep them um, what the world in, of that world would call strong and active and engaged. And the, in the end of the last segment, I was saying that if somebody was going to use some of these apps and games, you would hope that the people designing them are designing them with some sort of learning outcome, protective outcome, something sort of in mind. If you make that assumption that this actually does happen, you would also have to ask a question, who are the good candidates? Who are the good receivers of this information? And by analogy, one could say, if you are a pharmaceutical company and you make a pharmaceutical drug, right? Not everybody takes the drug, correct? Right. You have to look for a certain kind of person or a patient with a certain kind of disorder or dysfunction and then they get the drug right right that's because the drug was designed with a target audience in mind and here we have something we all have brains but not all of our brains are exactly the same therefore i would argue that the brain training games or brain training things that people subscribe to uh, are not universally applicable to all people Right. We're, in we're, in, we're in different circumstances. So you, you should probably ask, if I'm going to try to train my brain, am I good, a good candidate for what this brain training program, I'm just going to use the word program, is targeting, right? If I'm going to subscribe to one of these things, not only am I good, a good candidate, but what are the limits? What are the expectations of, of this brain training program? Um, activity that I'm going to, that I'm going to engage in. Is it something that, you know, is valuable to me or is it not valuable to me? What are the goals of this, of, of this particular brain training algorithm um, or program? Because one could say person A might benefit best by brain training program Z. Right. Person B might not be helped by brain training program Z, person B might be helped by brain training program Y. Mm -hmm. right? And you would hope that if these things are really going to work, people would have this sort of stuff in mind. And then you also have to think about, you know, what am I actually trying to train? Am I trying to train my working memory? Am I trying to train my learning abilities or my what's called, um, you know, fluid intelligence? That's called like understanding the outcomes. And the reality is 
I would think that different people might get different effects from engaging in different online or app tasks. You don't know what those sort of things are. You also have to be asked the question, how long do these effects last, mm -hmm. right? right? If I exercise, I have to exercise a certain number of times for a certain duration to start to achieve benefits from that exercise. But if I stop that exercising, right? If you, Isaac, if you didn't shoot a basketball for a year, are you gonna be able to pick up and shoot a basketball just like you did a year ago? No, not at all. No, no. Or, or it's like for somebody who plays the piano. If you practice and practice and practice and learn how to play the piano and you stop for a year or some, some amount of time, you can't just jump back in and play the piano just where you left off. Those are the kinds of things that research has to engage in. Research has to figure out um, who gets what kind of brain training under what kind of um, conditions. And as a consumer, as people who subscribe to these things, we should all ask, you know, what works? What's going to work for me? What am I trying to get out of it? Um, and everybody should approach these things with um, a lot of uh, questioning and skepticism. Um, that doesn't mean these things can't be fun, um, but it also is the idea that, you know, consumer beware, especially if you're subscribing to these sort of things. Right. Yeah, no, I mean, it's interesting that you say that. So should there be a preference and people should do data driven? So now here's a question for you, Dr. Carp. Mm -hmm. Should more people be more focused on the tech side of like, games that do respond and actually do correspond outside or should they even sort should they even ignore that and even try to go maybe to old school ways like the old rubik's cube or chess so <laughs> I, could, I could never figure out a rubik's group some people got really good at that but but that's but that's but Isaac, that's a great example if you got good at that and you learned how to solve a rubik's cube did does that skill translate into something else that's practical in your lives and that's exactly, you nailed it. That's exactly the kind of question. Or, or do you just get better at moving the, the, the squares around on a Rubik's cube to getting them all match up? Did you learn something that's more generalizable or, did, or, or not? And that's the kind of questions um, that's out there. And, and did you, there, was a, there was another question you wanted to ask? No, that was, uh, that was it. And then just based off the study, what did you think was the grand conclusion? Okay, so the that. study you're referring to, and this yeah. is a perfect segue to get into it um, in the, the five or six minutes we have left, is that you saw a press release. Um, yeah. and, the, 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 and the press release was about a research study uh, that came out in the Journal of Experimental Psychology, the general section. And what they did in this study is they recruited um, a lot of people. Um, they, they recruited about over 8,500 people. Right. Out of those 8,500 people or so, about 1,000 of them reported, and these are self-reports, participating in some sort of quote-unquote brain training. Some of them had been brain training for two weeks. Some of them been, had been brain training um, for like five years, like 60 months. But on average, they, they, you know, their brain training was through these 
websites, apps, subscription services, all these sort of stuff. And what this, what, what they did in this study is they compared the 7,500 people who were not engaged with brain training to people, these, you know, about a thousand people or so who are involved with brain training. And they looked at, um, they, were, they looked at memory tasks, verbal tasks, reasoning tasks, and they did all these sort of performance scores, right? Mm -hmm. And then they compared these two groups in essence, right? And it's fascinating because they're basically asking the question, right? Do, do people who engage in these brain training sessions using you know, apps, virtual reality, and websites or subscription services, are there benefits in, you know, in, you know, a verbal benefits? Are there reasoning, like problem solving benefits, or are there working memory benefits? And what I think what triggered your interest in it um, is going to is going to be a giveaway in the title of the actual research paper. The title of the actual research paper is "Brain Training Habits Are Not Associated with Generalized Benefits to Cognition: An Online Study of Over a Thousand Quote Brain Trainers." Right. That's that's <laughs> exactly right. You hit the money on that. That's why I was uh, very interested in it. Right. And so, and that let's go back to even the beginning, the premise of, of where we started and your question in our first segment today, you asked, you know, Dr. Karp, are, do you use, or have you used any of these brain training programs? And I bet you were thinking, you're going to ask me which ones I use and why. Right. Yeah, <laughs> right? yeah you, you're on the money right there. You're hitting it. You're hitting, you're hitting it. Yeah. But, you're hitting but, the money. But, but if we're going to be start making, you know, uh, data-based decisions. You know, what I've tried to do in today's program is give consumers, people who are potentially doing these things, not necessarily to believe the claims of these companies or of the websites, but who may or may not be doing the science. But overall, when you have these, you know, thousands of people who are doing these things, yeah, some studies say yes, they help. Some studies say no, they don't know what conditions to separate those things. But over a very, very large study, you know, I mean, these are not small studies that are showing, you know, effects in Parkinson's patients or effects um, in, in a really cool paper from two or three years ago where they looked at baseball players, where they trained baseball players to recognize some things visually. Um, like um, at the end of one baseball season, and then they and then they compared their stats to the next baseball season, and the ones who had trained, you know, struck out less, you know, had some better eye-hand coordination, some sort of things. So there's a lot of small studies saying yes, this technology can be used, but there's a, there's small studies. At a population-based things, do these things translate into the into things related to why people do them? And that paper is sort of suggesting it ain't there yet. <laughs> and if it is there, you know, who does it benefit? For what? For how long? None of that stuff's been worked out yet. Mm -hmm. So after doing this, if you, if, if you, an app popped up on your phone, giving you a, you know, a reduction in some subscription service to something, you know, a brain game website, what would you do, Isaac? Well, I would do more research into that website and see if they're not scamming me. 
And if I like the game and I feel I'll try and if they have a trial, I'll try the free trial and see what happens. And yeah. if I do not like the free trial, I probably won't, I'll probably won't subscribe to it. <laughs> absolutely. And there's absolutely nothing doing it, nothing wrong with doing it for fun. Uh, if free is great, but the stakes are relatively low. Right. Right. It's not like, oh, I'm going to take a medicine and, you know, you know, my kidneys might stop. Right. The stakes are low. The entertainment possibilities are great. But I think we're getting ahead of ourselves as a society to say that these these computer things have some sort of scientific basis and people know exactly what's going to happen, who are the best populations to use them and, and stuff like that. Right. Right. Yeah, and I completely agree. <laughs> cool. Um, unfortunately, Isaac, we are, we're sort of running out of time. Um, this is, and so we have to uh, end our conversation here. This is 1077 The Bronx, 1077thebronc.com, and we're recording from the remote Bronx studios. Thank you for listening. This program is part of the Rider University effort to bring people together to address issues associated with all aspects of health and healthcare. We hope today's program has given some things to think about of what you see out there about brain training. If you have any questions and or comments about this program, please email us at health411 at Rider. That was this week's episode of Health 411 with Dr. Jonathan Karp. Tune in every Sunday at 10 a.m. to learn truthful information about your health and the healthcare industry. Missed an episode? No worries. You can subscribe to a free weekly episode of Health 411 to listen to on your favorite podcast platform apple spotify google podcasts whatever the rider university health studies institute presents health 411 underwritten in part by the ripovich institute for new jersey politics and rider university rider offers continuing studies programs for adults who need flexibility want to add new skills to your resume take a continuing studies course at rider university we'll see you soon only on 1077 the bronx